Hey podcasters, we are living in unprecedented times. And currently our church is not meeting in person. We have moved all of our worship services online. And so the messages that you'll be hearing here on the podcast are part of online worship experiences, which are quite a bit different from in-person gatherings. So there might be breaks in the message where we shift to a different element or I'll refer to things that are links uh, in the description. And so those don't apply, but still we want you to be able to follow along with our messages and stay connected to our church. Of course, in this time, uh, we hope that you are being faithful to give and support your local church. But if Faith Church is your local church, we would greatly appreciate it if you would support us in this season by going to faithinchandler.com slash give or using the Venmo app to make your donation to the username at faithfwbchurch. We greatly appreciate your continuing uh, support during this time. May God bless you and keep you well in this pandemic. You know, no one ever had to teach me that if something was painful or if it was really hot, that I should remove my hands quickly. It just came to me instinctively. And that signal that travels from your hand to your brain when something is painful, like even right now, just barely putting my hand over the top, not putting my hand on this red hot stove, but just over the top. I can feel that heat. And the signal of pain travels from our hand to our brain at about 300 feet, 350 feet per second. That's farther than a football field in a second. And obviously, our, the distance from our hand to our brain is much shorter than that. And so in an instant, the communication comes from our hand to our brain that we should remove our hand from that painful spot, that painful place. But for some reason, when it comes to issues of emotional pain, when it comes to issues of anger or bitterness, these are things that instead of removing quickly, instead of letting go of fast, we hold on to them, we carry them, and they continue to do damage and cause us harm. And our hope for this sermon series is that we can help you let go of the things that you're carrying that are harmful, that you can set them down, let them go, leave them behind, and no longer experience the pain that they bring. And this first message is going to be all about why we can't forgive ourselves for our past, for our sin, for our mistakes. And then next week, we're going to look at why we struggle with bitterness towards God and we feel like life isn't fair. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about how we can forgive others. We can let go of this bitterness that we feel towards others. And then lastly, we'll talk about the freedom that comes from forgiven living. Did you ever play the game of hot potato when you were a kid? You know, the whole point of the game of hot potato is to get rid of the potato. You're passing it on and you don't want to be the last one holding the potato when the song or the rhyme or the music ends. So if you've got the potato in your hand, you're losing in that moment. You need to get rid of it. You need to pass it on. And if you're holding the potato, you lose. And what I want you to realize is that if you're holding on to shame, you're losing. Because shame robs us. In the very beginning of Scripture, we see in Genesis chapter 2, that Adam and Eve are created and they're put in this beautiful paradise, put in this beautiful garden. And scripture is very explicit to tell us that the man and woman were naked. 
In other words, it's telling us they were incredibly intimate, they were close, and they had no shame. In fact, the words it says is unashamed. But then something happens. In Genesis 3, just a chapter later, God comes to find them and they're hiding. God says, Adam, where were you? And Adam says, I was naked, and so I was afraid. Adam had experienced shame because he had sinned. Sin brought shame, and that shame caused him to lose the intimacy that he had had with God, caused him to lose the intimacy that he had with Eve. And so shame robs us of intimacy, it robs us of power, it robs us of freedom, and it should be something we should try to get rid of as quickly as we can. But we often try to bury it. Imagine playing a game of hot potato and when it comes to you, instead of passing it on to the next person, you try to grab a hold of it like it's a football, like it's been fumbled and you're trying to take possession. That's what we do with shame when we should be trying to get rid of it as quickly as we can. We need to get rid of shame, but we often just hold on to it. And as we hold on to shame, it robs us. And this is a widespread problem. There's a legend that uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of the Sherlock Holmes books, that he sent a telegram to 12 of his friends, and the telegram said, flee at once, all is found out. And supposedly all 12 of his friends immediately left the country. They went running for their lives because they had some secret that they were afraid had been found out. Now that story has been told, and that Mark Twain was the one who pulled that prank on his friend. And so it's probably just an urban legend, but we can identify with that story because we all feel like there's something that we're hiding, that we all have a secret. And guilt is this widespread problem. It's a worldwide problem. It's a mankind problem. Because what Scripture tells us is that when we sin, and all of us have sinned, we will experience shame. Bible tells us that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, that we have all turned away from Him, that we've all, like sheep, gone our own way, we've gone astray. And so sin is this mankind problem, and shame is a symptom of that sin problem that we have. Uh, just recently I heard someone talking, uh, I was on a, a broadcast, and they were saying that right now, like never before, and this is something that's happened, this never before happened, is that the entire world is all experiencing the same problem or the same issue because everyone is facing the coronavirus pandemic. And the truth is that maybe this is the first time the whole world has faced the same problem, but the whole world has had the same problem for a long time because the whole world has a sin problem. And the byproduct of our sin problem is shame. So if shame is a problem, if it robs us of intimacy, it robs us of freedom, something that we all have, what do we need to do? To get rid of it. Well, the world will tell you that you just need to forgive yourself. That you need to take it easy on yourself. Don't beat yourself up. You just need to let it go. And I want to push back on that a little bit. You see, I can't forgive something that I don't have the authority to forgive. I can't forgive an offense that isn't against me. And when I say I'm going to forgive myself, I presuppose that the offense, the sin, is against me. Let me try to illustrate what I'm talking about. Let's imagine that I owe Pastor Eric $1,000. And 
I don't have the money to pay or I don't want to pay and I don't want to feel badly about it. So I just decide I'm going to forgive myself that debt. Now, how does that work, right? You try and forgive yourself of the debt that you owe on your car loan or your home loan, right? That's not going to work out because you don't have the authority to forgive that debt. The only person that can forgive that debt that I owe to Pastor Eric is Pastor Eric, right? And if someone owed you money, you wouldn't want them to forgive their own debt or for someone else to say, hey, don't worry about it. That debt isn't a big deal. You don't have to worry about it. And when we talk about forgiving ourselves, what we're presupposing is that we are the ones that have been sinned against. And the truth is, is that God is the one that has been sinned against. I don't have the authority to forgive myself. Only God does. So what do we do? Well, there's a great passage in Isaiah chapter 6 where we see that Isaiah wrestles with the same thing. So let me read that to you. Isaiah chapter 6 Verse 1 tells us that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So Isaiah has this vision of God. His train fills the temple. Verse 2 says, Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So Isaiah sees this grand scene. He sees this vision of God. His train has filled the temple. The angels are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The voice of this cry of holiness shakes the the posts. It's a magnificent, incredible scene. And Isaiah's response to this is not, this is amazing, this is incredible, this is so awesome to experience this. Rather, I want you to hear what Isaiah's response to this is. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Isaiah saw the Lord, when he saw this magnificent scene, he was moved at how holy God is and how unholy he was. When he saw how righteous, how wonderful, how glorious God is, it caused him to recognize how unholy he was. He experienced shame. He experienced um, uh, despair. He's like, I'm a mess. God, what am I going to do? I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Now, shame robs us. And if we live with shame, it's it's a bad thing. It causes us to have difficulty in relationships. We're constantly making things about us that aren't about us because we're so insecure. Shame is a bad thing. But I want you to see that shame can bring about good results. Because there's the difference between shame and conviction. You see, shame is when we feel badly and we feel uh, insecure and we feel afraid. Conviction is when we recognize our need. And hopefully everyone who's listening to this, instead of shame, hopefully you'll feel a little bit of conviction. 
because conviction can lead to good places. Paul talks about this in his letter, 2 Corinthians. I want to read you a couple of verses. Paul had written a really strong first letter to the Corinthian people dealing with some major issues that they had. And this is what he writes them in the follow-up to that, when he's written them this strong letter and they respond well. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9. He says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. And so Paul says, I'm not happy that I made you feel bad, but I am happy that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. And then verse 10 is really important. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. What Paul shows us here in this passage is that there's two types of, of sorrow, right? There's, there's godly sorrow, which leads towards repentance. That's conviction. And godly sorrow, which leads towards repentance, leads towards salvation. It leads towards life. But then there's a worldly sorrow. And worldly sorrow leads towards death. It leads toward destruction. It leads towards more shame. And if we only experience worldly sorrow, if we only experience feeling awful, feeling less than, feeling insecure, feeling shame, that will lead us to death. That will lead us to despair. But godly sorrow leads us to life. And so we need to let go of shame and we need to embrace conviction because conviction will take us to good places. Let me go back to, to Isaiah and show you what, what happens for Isaiah because what Isaiah experiences is conviction and he confesses to the Lord his condition. He doesn't try to cover it up. See, shame leads us to try to cover up and to hide and to isolate. Isaiah doesn't cover up his sin, but rather he confesses it openly to the Lord. He's before God in this incredible moment, in this incredible vision, and he says, woe is me for I am undone. He owned it. He confessed it. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. Verse 6 says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. When Isaiah recognizes this sin in his life, when he recognizes that he is a man of unclean lips, he doesn't say, I just need to, I need to take it easy on myself. I need to quit beating myself up about this. No, he confesses his sin. He opens up about the fact that he is a sinner and that he has this spiritual need. And God sends this seraphim, this angel, who takes up a coal and touches it to his lips. And it's this purification process that happens here in this moment. Now, you and I, we're not capable of purifying ourselves, but God is capable of purifying us. And I want you to, to pay special attention to where it was that this coal came from. Isaiah tells us that the angel takes the coal from the altar. And in the temple, they would have sacrifices that they would offer, and these sacrifices would be burnt up. 
And the sacrifice was to take the penalty or the price of the sins of the people. It was to cover what they had done. It was like paying that debt. And the sacrifices that they would offer in the temple, they were constantly pointing to the ultimate sacrifice that would be made by Christ. Go back to the the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve have sinned, they are ashamed. They try to cover themselves. They make for themselves aprons. They they hide in the, the woods. God comes looking for them. It never works for us to try to cover our own shame and sin. It never works for us to hide from God, but that's what they do. God comes calling for them. When he finds them, he sacrifices two animals and he covers them with the skins of those animals. He covers them with the furs. And so the payment for sin is is paid. And here in Isaiah, there's an altar where there's a burning sacrifice. The coal is taken from that altar and it is used to purge Isaiah's lips to be made whole. And the whole thing I want you to see here is that you can't forgive yourself and you can't make yourself whole and you don't have the authority to forgive yourself, but God does and God can and God will. You can't forgive yourself because you don't have the authority to do that. Only God does and God has chosen to do so. God has chosen to do so by sending His Son who went and gave himself on the altar of the cross, who sacrificed himself to pay the penalty for us, to erase the debt that we have so that we can be forgiven. And what that means is that when we are forgiven by God, that we have no right to hold our offenses against us. We have no right to hold ourselves in judgment. You don't have the authority to forgive yourself, only God does, and you don't have the authority to hold yourself in judgment, only God does. And He's chosen to forgive you. You can be forgiven because the one who has the authority to forgive you has made it possible for you to be forgiven. And if you have come to Christ and experienced that forgiveness, but you continue to beat yourself up about your sin. You continue to to experience shame. You continue to shame yourself. You continue to believe the lie that Satan wants you to believe, that you are no good, that you're rotten, that you'll never be good enough. You are putting yourself in a place of judgment higher than God because God himself has said, I forgive you. God himself has said that the debt has been paid. And if God says that you are forgiven, who are we to say that we're not? Who are we to say that we should be ashamed of ourselves? God has forgiven us because He paid the price for us. And this forgiveness wasn't free. It was very costly. But He paid for it Himself. So why can't you forgive yourself? Because you don't have the power or the right to do that. But God does, and He wants to forgive you. He's made it possible for you to be forgiven if you'll accept that forgiveness that He's offering you. There's no need to hold on to your sin or your shame. You can be forgiven. I remember a story one of my high school teachers told about when he was younger, his wife was cooking them breakfast, and He was getting dressed and he heard her scream. He came running into the kitchen to find that there was a grease fire in the skillet on the stove. And just 
jumping into action. He wanted to get the fire out of the house, so he scooped up the skillet in his hand and carried it out of the house, which that's not the right thing to do. You should smother a grease fire with a lid or a cookie sheet. You don't want to carry it out of the house. That often ends up leading to other portions of the house catching on fire. He managed to get the fire, the burning skillet, out the front door, but he severely burned his hand in the process. And I think what happens to a lot of people is they carry things that are harmful, that are painful, that are destructive, that are deadly, because they're convinced that they've got to hold them. They've got to hold on to them. They've got to carry them. They've got to carry it out. And the truth is, you don't need to hold on to your sin. You don't need to hold on to your bitterness. You don't need to hold on to your shame. Christ has made it possible for our sin, our shame, to be taken out of our hands. It was placed upon the shoulders of Jesus when he went to the cross. Jesus has made it possible for us to set these things to the side. You don't need to carry it anymore. And it might be that you're watching this today and there's some sin or some shame that you have been carrying for a long time. There's this thing that you did years ago that you've not been able to forgive yourself for. You feel, you experience this incredible shame or regret. And I want you to know that Christ has made it possible for you to be forgiven. And you don't have to carry that anymore. So I want to I wanna invite you to set that down and allow Christ to take it. I'm going to pray that in this moment you can experience freedom, healing, forgiveness because you're going to lay it down. You're going to trust that Christ has paid the price. He paid the debt. He took the punishment for you. And He offers you forgiveness. Father, I pray that you would work in the hearts and lives of people who, Lord, they've been carrying shame. Lord, there's a sin that that they have not been able to forgive themselves for. Lord, there's a regret that they haven't been able to forgive themselves, Lord, for. I pray that they would recognize that only you have the authority to do that, and Lord, that you are willing to do so. Lord, that you are willing to forgive them. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So Lord, I pray that right now they would confess that sin to you. They would lay it on your shoulders. They would let you take it off of their hands. Lord, they would experience the freedom of giving up that harmful thing, that shame that's been robbing them. And they would experience freedom and forgiveness. We pray these things in your name. Amen.